Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I appreciate you guys guys listening and sharing and always being very supportive, and I thank you so much. And today... Boy, this has been a time coming now. I've been waiting for a while for this, but I have the guest that I wanted to have, what, three years ago, probably at least. (laughs) And now I finally have the Reverend Joe Mitchell in the Gay With God house. The Reverend Joe Mitchell has been the rector of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd since 2015 and was the first priest or any minister in Randolph County, North Carolina, to hold a pride mass at our parish. Father Joe has been active in the diocese on the liturgy committee, the prison ministry committee, and mission rescue team. He is self-described as just your average transformer collecting baseball playing theater loving pop culture referencing priest from the coal fields of Southwest Virginia. I call him Father Joe, and he is the one who allowed the Holy Spirit to move through him as she continued to pull me back into relationship with the God of my understanding. Father Joe is an amazing preacher, gaining online views from across the pond. Shout out to you, Tracy. And he walks the talk of Jesus every day in everything he does. Father Joe is adding to his repertoire in the Episcopal Church by answering his most recent call to become an interim priest at St. James in the Diocese of Central North New York. Father Joe, finally, after all you've been through, (laughs) I welcome you to the Gay with God podcast. Thank you, Midge. It is a great blessing and and privilege and honor to be with you today. Thank you so much. So you've been through a lot. I've talked a lot about you on my podcast, by the way. Um, (laughs) Your name comes up frequently um, because you're an integral part of my story. Uh, And even though you always give credit to God, which is nice, and and I'm sure you're right, but, but you were the one that said yes to that call. You know, when I showed up to schedule with you and we had that first meeting at the coffee house, you know, that was your decision to set to agree to that and to extend yourself to yet another person, you know, seeking something Mm -hmm. from the church. And so the first thing that I want to do is to start with, because I know you're a cradle Episcopalian. I was Mm -hmm. not. You know, we got very different messages, perhaps, in the church mm-hmm. growing up about homosexuality. And so I wanted to just take a moment to see, even because timelines for me are, are a little bit sketchy. So as you were coming up in the Episcopal Church, what messages did you get from from your family, from your church, from your priest about gay people? It's interesting when I think about the church that I grew up in, All Saints Church in Norton, Virginia, which was a, a, a tiny little parish that it, at least a few years ago uh, had a directory that consisted of the front and back of one sheet of paper. Um, <laughs> we had a, a wonderful priest by the name of the Reverend Fran McCoy, who uh, has since gone on to glory. And Fran came to join us when I was roughly five years old or so, uh, maybe six. I had just started acolyting, which uh, 
is our term for altar server, um, altar boys or girls, as they're often called in the Roman Catholic Church. And um, Fran made such an impact, not only because of the length of time that she was there, but the uh, just the quality of, of, of her priesthood uh, and her rectorship that I have no memory of her predecessor, mm-hmm. uh, John Bowles, uh, even though he was the one who trained me to be an acolyte and was the first first priest that I that I served with. What I heard from Fran, and she always wanted to be called Fran, never Mother <laughs> Fran uh, or or Reverend Fran. Um, what I heard from Fran week in and week out was less the specifics of what was in her sermon and more sort of the the tone and the quality of them. As a little kid, you don't you don't remember sermons, but you you do remember the the tone. You do remember kind of the the heart of a of a message. And the message that I just heard consistently was a message that God loved you. There, there wasn't uh, a lot of specifics in that. There was never the, the saying from the pulpit uh, about gay people specifically or, or a calling out of homophobia specifically as, as a sin, uh, which many years later, I would actually do um, in my context. But it was this consistent message of, of love and a lack of, of, of judgment and, and that it was not our place to make that judgment. I even asked her once several years later, because we say in our, in our creed that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And I asked sort of about that and and she kind of shrugged a little and she said, well, yeah, he may, he may judge, but his judgment is, is based on love. It's not based on, on punishment, mm-hmm. uh, which also kind of flipped the narrative a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. So in hearing that, what I inferred, even if it wasn't explicitly stated, was that God loved everybody. And who was I to ever say otherwise? And as it turned out, I was in um, a church that was about 10 to 15 miles or so from uh, the town where I grew up. So there was no Episcopal church in Pound, Virginia, which is the my, my hometown. and uh, sits right on the Virginia-Kentucky border. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of different kinds of Baptists, primitive, <laughs> old, regular, missionary, um, there is one Methodist church in the town and one Presbyterian church in the town, and that's it. And so I heard messages over and over again of, um, of judgment. And when I got into high school, you know, when you're, when you're starting to sort of come into consciousness and starting to, to, to have these conversations sort of out loud, um, it was very clear I was getting a message in my church that was the complete opposite of what friends of mine, people I cared about, were, were hearing. It, it got so to the point where not specifically my uh, understanding of the love of God as it related to gay people, but uh, a lot of things that had to do with my church from having a female uh, preacher to the the fact that I was taking up various prayer postures in my day-to-day life. And you got to remember, this is 
very much the Bible Belt. This is a place where mm. taking your Bible out in the middle of, of, of school is not a big deal. People <laughs> don't bat an eye mm. uh, at, at that for, for the most part. Um, and so if somebody, uh, it's not uncommon to see somebody praying, you know, mm-hmm. and if somebody saw me, you know, taking up an, an odd prayer posture, of, you know, the lotus position or whatever, um, it was weird for, mm-hmm. for people. And so one time uh, in the middle of a, of a, uh, a baseball practice, the coaches called me into their office where one of the football coaches who was a preacher on the side was there to pretty much tell me how wrong I was in everything that I believed and that uh, I needed to read Revelation because for some reason that was the one book of the Bible that everyone thought the whole thing hinged upon um, and and realized that I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, let's just say that that intervention didn't take. But <laughs> what I what I inferred from my experience was that any judgment, if there even is judgment, is for Christ and Christ alone. And that God loves all of us with a kind of love that is beyond our comprehension. And I do remember specifically when I was young, there being a gay couple in our church, Mm. um, an open, an openly gay couple anyway. And they weren't there for very long, mostly I believe because uh, one of the gentlemen uh, moved on for, for work. But Mm. I do remember them. I remember my mother being very good friends with, uh, with one of them. And I remember them being part of that community. Mm-hmm. And as years would go by, I would find out that there were other gay members of, of our, our congregation uh, as well. So for me, it was less about, oh, wow, gay people are part of this thing. It was just like, oh, yeah, everyone's a part of this thing. Mm-hmm. And I sort of took that for granted. That's a privilege that I had mm-hmm. as as a young person and as someone who has for most of my life identified as straight, uh, someone who is a, a cisgender white male. Um, I'm very much aware uh, of that privilege. So mm-hmm. as I became more and more aware of that over the years, Part of what I saw my role being, my call being before and after I was ordained was to try to use my privilege, use my platform Mm -hmm. to speak not only to those who have been ostracized and marginalized by the institutional church to say, you are beloved of God and you belong here, but maybe even more so to speak to those who are already in it. And to say, this is a much bigger tent than you can possibly imagine. And much like, uh, much like St. Peter finally understood when it came to Gentiles being a part of mm-hmm. the community of the way, who are we to hinder God? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's sort of the, maybe not explicit, but at least implicit mm-hmm. message I got throughout my childhood and throughout my life in the church. And I think it's a huge reason. She is a huge reason 
uh, Fran McCoy mm-hmm. of why I, I, I do what I do and how, why I felt called uh, to the priesthood in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that, and we've talked about this a lot, that the messages that, that you get when you're a young child, even though you have other messages that come in, those first messages from birth to five are extremely yeah. powerful. And mm-hmm. after that, if it continues to be reinforced and reinforced, it becomes even more powerful. The mm-hmm. people that I grew up with took the Bible literally, as you know. And mm-hmm. if it's in the black and white scripture readings or, then, red. or red, yeah. So I don't know who decided that we got to read those. But, uh, <laughs> hopefully he said all of that, but who knows? But you know, that that message that abomination, hellfire, and after joining the Episcopal Church and through Episcopal 101, and just the first time we met, and you said, Midge. <laughs> don't believe you're going to hell for being gay. And I don't believe the Bible says so either. And the shock of hearing that, even though I'd had a gay preacher once tell me that I would not be going to hell, you and I talked about the fact that it didn't carry quite as much weight because of course, gay people would want to preach that for themselves. And Mm -hmm. so hearing you say it landed in a whole different place, but the fear of me diving in and just going with that was incredibly difficult. So first, hats off to you for your patience over the last few years, because you guys don't know how many questions I have asked of Father Joe, and he's been quite patient <laughs> with all of I'm still asking questions. I don't always have answers, but I, I love sitting and listening to people's questions. <laughs> well, you've had enough answers. I can give you that. You've had enough answers. So break down for for those of us listening to you now, and hopefully those who will listen to us later, those scriptures that are in black and white, that look so clear to all the Mm -hmm. fundamentalists out there, why do they not hold up as far as your belief that we're not condemned to hell and that, that they're not preaching that to the gay community? Well, how much time is this podcast? Well, I don't know. Um, It could be hours. If I, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, much of what uh, we we experience from folks who take the Bible, quote unquote, literally, mm-hmm. is a relatively new-ish phenomenon um, that arose in the late 19th century uh, and, and in a response to the growing academic field of biblical scholarship and biblical understanding, biblical literacy. You got to remember that for the vast majority of Christianity, and you can even take this back to uh, to pre-Christianity, the person who held the authority and the person who who interpreted the texts were the priests. They were very often the only educated individuals, even in a town. Sometimes the only people that could read, and um, they were the ones who would interpret the texts for people. The creation of the printing press allowed the Bible now to be put into the hands of everyone. And the Enlightenment said that all knowledge can be obtained by everybody. And so what those two things did in the grand scheme of things was good obviously, 
uh, led to the the end of feudalism and and giving all people the opportunity to learn. But sort of a side effect of that, from at least a a scriptural standpoint, is it basically made everybody an interpreter of the Bible. Mm. And Bibles were were printed and given to everyone, and you just took them home and you read them and you tried to figure out what they meant on your own. Biblical scholarship arises predominantly out of Union Theological Seminary in New York City, uh, the alma mater of my spouse, Mm. uh, Kristen, who studied there, as an actual academic field. So in the same way that I, for example, would not try to give you a treatise on how one would split an atom because (laughs) I am not a physicist, the rise of biblical scholarship said, look, not everybody is a biblical scholar. Not everybody is trained in how to read this stuff. Because you're talking about texts that are centuries and centuries old. You're talking about texts that have been that have been lost. We don't say that they have the the canonicity, the, the authenticity, um, because um, they just weren't circulated enough, or they're they they're not in in a complete uh, form. You have all of these different kinds of texts. You have texts that have been translated over and over again to the point now that we we have seemingly countless uh, versions of just the text in in the English language. And and so the need was, was clear that in the same way that physics would be uh, a, a field of study where you do actually have experts, people who, who study this, who devote their lives to this field, um, the same can and should apply to, uh, to biblical scholarship. Of course, as that arises, it's met with considerable pushback. Union at that time was a, was a Presbyterian seminary. It is no longer affiliated with the Presbyterian Church in an official capacity, but it was from within the Presbyterian Church itself. This is before the Presbyterian split uh, in this country that the need for uh, the teaching of the fundamentals arises. And with that comes what we know of as fundamentalism, fundamental Mm -hmm. Christianity. And among the fundamentals is the inherent word of God, the literal word of God that the Bible was given to humanity, that it is unchanged over all of this period of time. And uh, to, to, to quote uh, the, the, the letter uh, to the Hebrews, that Jesus Christ specifically was the same then, is now, and always will be forever and ever, world without end. Uh, amen. And so what we know now in this country as fundamental Christianity, or, or unfortunately also conservative Christianity, that word has itself, conservatism, has taken on such a, such a life of its own, is actually a very, very fairly new phenomenon. It's just over 120, 130 uh, years old, which in the grand scheme of things and in the grand story of Christianity is is just a drop uh, in mm-hmm. the bucket. Mm-hmm. Now, 
how do you reconcile then after all of this time and this idea that the Bible is the literal word of God uh, steeped into the culture, um, even people who aren't even church goers will say that in, that that they don't go to church because God is is evil. I mean, read the mm-hmm. read the Bible. Look at the mm-hmm. things God does. I don't want to worship that God. Mm-hmm. Even they are coming from a place of saying, "Well, this has to be real." Quote unquote, mm-hmm. this has to be true. Quote unquote, mm-hmm. factual is actually the better word mm-hmm. for it. This has to be mm-hmm. factual. Mm-hmm. And as you've heard me say over and over again, one of the great lessons I've learned uh, in in my own studies is there's a difference between facts and truth. Mm-hmm. Facts can be proven. Truths are about things that are much, much deeper. And for the vast majority of Christianity, for nearly 19 centuries of Christianity, they understood the difference between those two. And the facts weren't the most important thing. It was the truth that was the most important thing. The the, the themes and the values that we get mm-hmm. from the text was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And so now arises the need, especially in, in, our, in our present time, when we are in a, a, a post-Christian sort of society, post-religious society as a, as a whole, the need for you know, so-called liberal Christians, although I'm not a huge fan of the terms liberal or conservative being assigned to religion, but um, the need for more progressive-minded, more academic minded individuals to sort of reclaim these texts and to reclaim this message is imperative, probably more more now than it ever has been. Uh, but some of the texts that you and I have wrestled with or uh, and and that that's most pertinent to 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 this podcast, and there's certainly others that would be mm-hmm. uh, relevant to other podcasts that that mm-hmm. that may be out there. But we'll you know we'll start with, um, the most obvious ones uh, coming from from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the the first of which, and and, and probably um, the most um, the most popular uh, is is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah from Genesis nineteen. There is absolutely nothing in that story that uh, is 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 tied to homosexuality, and and it should be noted uh, here that. This is also a term that doesn't exist. It's a term coined much, much later in in, in human history. It's not an idea that people even considered. And in fact, the the term itself, homosexual, doesn't show up in in human language until 1868 in Germany. That just tells you that this is not something that is prevalent. Um, or thought that's prevalent. So if you ever come across, and I have some translations of the Bible that use the word homosexuality, that is very much uh, the, the, a point trying to be made by those translators at mm-hmm. that time, mm-hmm. not a word that exists in the original languages at all. But there isn't anything in the original Hebrew of, of that story that, that we would attribute to homosexual relationships. But the popular um, interpretation of that story is that the, uh, the, the people of those two cities call for um, 
Abraham's nephew Lot to let uh, these these strangers, possibly angels, uh, we don't know for sure, to to let them out. They're strangers in this in this town uh, so that they may know them, which is another a, a term that 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 the Bible often uses for sexual relations. And so the popular theory is, aha, you know, the people inhabiting this town were were were, were uh, homosexual deviants uh, who who just wanted to to have sex with these men, forgetting the significant context of male on male rape, particularly in the ancient world, that when you were part of an army and you rode in and you conquered a land. One of the things that you did as part of that was as a strong, manly man, you raped the men in mm. that town. You robbed them of their identity as men. You made them women, mm. which speaks to a whole other narrative <laughs> on the treatment of women in the mm-hmm. ancient world, mm-hmm. because homosexuality, particularly among men, becomes so derided because the idea, which is a false idea, of course, we understand this now, um, mostly, but it's the idea that one of the men has to become a woman, mm-hmm. has to submit to the other. And that is not a role that men are supposed to take on, which in some ways I think is why homosexuality between men to this day is much more, uh, much less uh, prevalent in popular culture uh, and, and, uh, and much less visible than homosexuality between women. Mm-hmm. Um, that's seen, uh, seen more often um, because what is the worst thing that could happen to a man is that he become a woman. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what's going on in that story. So it's not having anything to do with homosexuality as a as a as the idea that we can think of now, for one, because there's no sense of romantic love that's involved mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a concept that doesn't really exist in the ancient world at all. But also, you know, if we if if we look at uh, this story, it's more a story about hospitality than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 cities are just described as being evil, just described as being. Uh, um, filled with with sin but that's not the sin that's named if anything it's the sin that of 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 not welcoming the stranger of of uh of not taking care of of the alien in your midst that's mm-hmm. and that's part of the commandments that that god will later give mm-hmm. through the uh you know through the law um remember that, that that you should take care of the alien in your land because you yourselves were aliens so mm-hmm. sodom and gomorrah doesn't have to do with that. The other uh, text from the Hebrew uh, Testament that is, you know, most most popular, of course, uh, is is from Leviticus, um, and it's quoted you know all the time. Uh, you know, Leviticus 20, 13, man lieth with a man as with a woman; it is an abomination. Mm-hmm. And um, again, notice, you know, we're talking about men. Mm-hmm. specifically and and mm-hmm. um you know what that's saying about the role of men and the role of women in this society the term abomination what is often 
you know, translated into abomination means a variety of things, means unclean. You know, one could very easily look at that text and say, well, you know, given, um, you know, not, not to get into a lot of details, but given the action itself, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is, it is less clean from a very mm-hmm. practical sort of way of thinking that the insistence that the law has upon cleanliness is part of that. Um, but at the same time, Leviticus is riddled with uh, things that are described as horrible sins that we would never think of today. Everything from when you can cut your beard to uh, the kinds of crops that you that you grow uh, together to uh, to touching the skin of a pig, which means that every single person that's ever played football is is going to hell. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's why I played baseball. Um, <laughs> we, so it would take, you could do a whole thing on just Leviticus itself and all mm-hmm. the different laws that are there. And also remembering that just, if we're just being practical for a moment, Leviticus is filled with laws for a people that are very young in their relationship with God. Mm-hmm. They're still trying to figure out you know, who they are and, and how they can exist in this society. And if we're being very practical, you can also understand that edict in terms of, of, of how it relates to procreation in, in a time when you definitely wanted to be having a whole lot of babies because you definitely wanted this nation to grow and, and to endure for, uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I get back to the con the concept of relationships when we talk about uh gay love in this in 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 our time we're talking about a concept love itself eros romantic love it's the greek word for the romantic kind of love it's just so rare in uh, not only in the Bible, but in human history, particularly in the West, uh, until the Victorian era. Mm. Even in heterosexual marriages, the woman was property. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the woman had no rights outside mm-hmm. of, of the marriage. Heck, even in this country, the woman, a woman couldn't have a credit card or a bank account unless she had a, a, a husband to co-sign until the right. 1970s. That's it's crazy. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and so the, even this, these questions, oh, there are, people are redefining marriage. Listen, scripture itself doesn't have a clear definition because if that were the case, then Jacob and, and Solomon uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have as many wives uh, as, as they did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and Christianity as a whole, including uh, including Mormonism, have publicly decried polygamy as not being part of, um, you know, of God's idea for mm-hmm. for marriage. And yet, there was a time when, yes, they they absolutely would have would have thought that that was okay. So the idea that relationships are being redefined, that marriage is being redefined, and that it's only happening right now. I've heard people ask, you know, so where did these people come from? I don't remember <laughs> it when I was. Growing up, now they were there the whole time, but yeah. blessedly, <laughs> blessedly, people now are able to actually express this and talk about this. And 
Uh, and, and again, this even comes back to what I was saying about my, my experience in the church that um, if we, it, I was always taught that we, we want to try to take the Bible so seriously as to not take it literally mm. and, and, and thus to look for the themes that are at work to try to understand what it is that is going on in this in this text because for christians even though some think otherwise the bible isn't the quran mm. the quran is is a holy text that for muslims was given directly from the mouth of god to muhammad for the purpose of being uh, taken down and shared with the world. That is not what the Bible is. Jews do not have that same regard for the Hebrew Bible. No, no self-respecting Jew will say, yes, all of this is straight from the mouth of God to, to Moses or to, uh, or to the prophets, you know, that, that all of these were texts written down by men, usually groups of men, not even men whose names are assigned to the books themselves, years after mm -hmm. any of these things even happened. Mm -hmm. Ask people what the first, what, what the earliest book of the Bible is. What's the likely answer? Genesis. Because it's first. Yes. <laughs> and it's God not. didn't put it first. <laughs> right. It's not the oldest text. We know that the oldest text in, in the Bible for both Christians and Jews is the book of Job. Mm. Because if you hold that text, and this is simple, this is, this, is, this is part of biblical scholarship, but it takes thinking. But if we just hold that text up against every other story in the Bible, we see a very different image of God. We see something that looks more like the Greek gods mm -hmm. on Olympus mm -hmm. than anything else. We see the 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 divine counsel from the beginning of the Odyssey um, here, where yes, the God of of Abraham is there, uh, or the individual that would become, you know, referred to as the God of Abraham is there. But so are all these other heavenly beings, including the devil. Um, and that just reeks of Zeus and Hades. Mm -hmm. Hades had a seat on Olympus, even though his his uh, his realm was the underworld. And the way even that God interacts with Job, just look at any story from Greco-Roman myth. The gods exist to to pester us. We exist for the amusement of the gods um, <laughs> who are constantly interfering with our lives and making our lives miserable in order to prove a point. That's how the book of Job reads because the book of Job comes from a time when polytheism was mm -hmm. the norm mm -hmm. and totally made sense in that context. It's what we often call an everyman tale. Stories like that exist in every single culture. And they are ancient. And so even if we were to say that Genesis, to your point, 
mm-hmm. even if we were to say that Genesis were the first, the oldest book, which it's not, mm-hmm. well, God didn't write it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and no one was there <laughs> at the Big Bang when God <laughs> spoke existence into being. No one was there to write that down. All of this had had to be written, you know, after the fact, um, in particular contexts, with particular goals in mind. Uh, ev- everyone has you know, some some sort of agenda, uh, if, mm-hmm. if if you will, mm-hmm. and the authors of the various books of scripture are are no different. Jumping ahead, even. Uh, to to the New Testament, and uh, one of the more popular texts in in which a lot of fundamentalists have used is in is in Romans one, and and Paul's sort of magnus opus that that that, that he has, and he he mentions men men and women sort of uh, for forsaking their natural mm-hmm. desires for for mm-hmm. for lust, and, and again. We're, we're not talking about eros. We're not talking about romantic love. We're okay. not talking about committed monogamous relationships. Mm-hmm. What's the context here? Well, the context is Rome. And one of the things we know from Roman religion, particularly the cults of, of, of Bacchus uh, in Rome and Dionysus in Greece, is, is that orgies were mm. extremely prevalent in, in, <laughs> in those cults. Mm-hmm. And... This, this idea that you would just have sex with everybody not was what Paul is decrying right there. And that goes all the way back to the first commandment. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt have no other gods but me. Participating in these sex cults and these orgies was part of your, your worship, and your adoration of gods like Bacchus or Artemis, who were defined by these uh, these fertility gods, who were defined by these sex cults, and that's part of what the um, emergence of this faith in this particular god, who from the very beginning of the story sets themselves up to be different. The creation story in Genesis is creation ex nihilo. It's creation out of nothing. It's God speaking existence into being. Every other creation story prior to that one is one born out of violence. And and particularly the creation story of Babylon. Mm. And it is in captivity in Babylon where Genesis is written to remind those Jews who are in captivity, in exile from their home homeland, hey, our God is different. Our God is a God of life and of love, not of violence, not of death. Mm. And so go all those years ahead to, to Romans, go to Paul decrying this practice is yet another example of saying, our God is different from this God. And if you participate in this particular act, namely sex cults mm-hmm. and, and, and orgy practice, then that's idolatry. That's breaking the first commandment. So those are just a few 
you know, examples. Well, let of, me ask you about this before, before we have to text. quit, because I want to know, um, this comes up a lot and we hear this, my community hears this a lot. Well, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It says in the Bible that you, you marry somebody from the opposite sex. So in that particular text, what would you say? <laughs> What's I'm that always fascinated. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by that because whether it's you right there or it's um, or it's me when I when I say these things, we always have to say it with that particular accent. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's just um, judgment that comes, isn't it? It's just <laughs> yeah, deep, yeah. There's a tinge of judgment there, um, and I heard yeah, I heard it too. Um, mm -hmm. Growing up, I had a very interesting experience because people knew not only that that I was part of a church that that said, "Yeah, gay people are okay." That somehow, in many of their eyes, made me gay. Oh wow! Um, perhaps because I was uh, uh, I was not in many relationships in high school. I had one serious girlfriend when I was in high school. So I got a lot of this. Um, mm. I as 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 Jerry Seinfeld says, I was outed and I wasn't even in. Um, <laughs> and I heard that particular yeah. is Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, over and over and over again. I'm like, what's your point? Mm -hmm. uh, even even then, like, mm -hmm. yeah, but someone named Steve came along at some point because otherwise we don't <laughs> have that name so prevalent. Um, and and at that time. I didn't really have any kind of tools to, to, mm -hmm. to say anything. I was just like, yeah, uh, okay, whatever. But if you, if you understand a little bit more of Hebrew, and I will admit that I was more of a Greek student than I was a Hebrew student, and we go back to, and I say this to anybody that's ever interested in wanting to know really what is the Bible saying, I take the approach of my great-grandfather, who was a Greek professor uh, mm -hmm. at the University of North Carolina, he learned Greek because he wanted to figure out what Jesus actually said from his own lips, or mm -hmm. rather from the earliest writers that, mm -hmm. that, that wrote about him. Mm -hmm. Go back to Hebrew for your, uh, your, your Jewish Bible texts. Go back to Greek for your New Testament texts. If you want to get at the most authentic version of what is being said. And one thing you'll notice when you do that is a whole lot of words have a whole lot of different meanings mm -hmm. and how you translate that will change how you view that, that text. Right. Um, for example, in, in the gospels, Jesus walking on water, the same word that we use to translate on can also mean in, through, or by. That might change how you understand that text if you were mm -hmm. to translate it in, mm -hmm. in one of those other ways. Mm -hmm. When we are in the book of Genesis and we hear the story of the creation of the first man, mm -hmm. that by itself is not entirely accurate. Um, God did not create a man and then create a woman out of the man. What God did was create in Hebrew an Adam, which means human. So we've only recently sort of 
reclaimed the word human because for centuries you just used the word man, right? Mankind, even our even our own book of common prayer up until mm-hmm. 1979 uh, would, would say, you know, we give thanks for all men. Now, they don't literally mean only people who identify as men. Mm-hmm. They mean mankind, but the word gets used to mean you know, everybody. So the Adam is not a man, is not a woman. The Adam is androgynous. The Adam is non-binary or intersex. The Adam is the expression of both of uh, uh, gender identities. There is not a clear identity to to the Adam. Um, when we were honeymooning in Greece and we were at a monastery in Meteora, there was a beautiful mosaic of paradise, of the garden. Mm-hmm. And it was the only time I've ever seen with my own eyes um, a picture of the Adam, not mm-hmm. clearly Ad- Adam as a man. Uh, it's not it, because it's just not the way it was. And this is a Christian monastery that that, that gets it. Um the what God says is that it is not good for this individual to be alone. And so the single Adam is split into two individuals who are uh, not named by God, but are are given the names you know of, of Adam and, and of Eve. And if you wanted to get into some real nitty-gritty uh, uh, Jewish uh, theology and 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 uh history um lilith plays a role in all of this mm-hmm. but i'm not a jewish rabbi so i don't feel that <laughs> that i am prepared enough to to speak on that um but what is interesting about that response is a few things one is were adam and eve married mm. <laughs> if that i were, know of <laughs> if they were who did it yeah um wouldn't they wouldn't they be brother and sister? Uh-oh. Isn't that incest? <laughs> um, also, My grandfather is rolling over right now. <laughs> Papa's um, just had a stroke. <laughs> where where did the other people come from? Right. Well, see, that's always been my question after the flood. I've always been worried Even about <laughs> Before the flood. Yeah. Before yeah, the yeah. flood. Yeah. Where did the other people come from? Yeah. Because Adam and Eve are in the garden. Mm-hmm. But they're cast out of the garden. Mm-hmm. It's out. That's outside the garden where Seth, Seth and Abel and Cain are born, and they find wives for them mm. among other, specifically among other people. Mm-hmm. What like they had daughters, and then they married their their right. own sisters. No, right. there mm-hmm. are other. Where did they come from? Mm-hmm. We don't. We 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 don't know. Mm-hmm. If you're getting hung up just <laughs> on that. Mm-hmm. You're not interested in this from a biblical standpoint, right? From a religious standpoint, you just want to be a bigot. Yes. And don't go using faith, using scripture to continue to promote your bigotry. Right. And it is important to note that we are dealing with texts that are thousands of years old and they are problematic mm-hmm. in many ways Mm -hmm. 
it is always hard for me, for example, to read the book of Joshua mm. because in the book of Joshua, the Exodus is finally over. The Israelites come out of Egypt. They've gone through their sojourn in the desert and they come into this land which God has promised to them. Only there's already people there and they slaughter them. Mm. And they don't just slaughter them. They throw salt on the ground so that nothing will grow. And that is so difficult mm -hmm. to read. And there's not a lot of good news there. Mm -hmm. Because it gets back to a fundamental piece of talking about the scriptures, which is these aren't for everybody. Mm -hmm. When the first commandment is given, you shall have no other God before me. That's for Israel. Mm -hmm. That's for those people, not for everybody else, mm -hmm. but for those people. These stories are for a specific group of people. And especially as we get a little bit further along and we get into the gospels, they're going to be for certain communities saying certain things to them that they need to hear in their time. That doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and say, mm -hmm. well, it's really old. It's problematic. We can't do anything with it. You know, far, far from. It simply means that we have to acknowledge that this is difficult mm -hmm. uh, for us in, in, in our in our time. Mm -hmm. So when we do come across a text that at first may decry what we now would use the term homosexuality mm -hmm. uh, to to. Um, to describe. Um, we have to just sit with it mm -hmm. and remember that we're trying to read this through a 2000 year old lens mm -hmm. in on the other side of the world in a very different culture, very mm -hmm. different time. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is trained on how to actually do this. Mm -hmm. And sadly, as you know, the son of an educator and, and the spouse of an educator, it is heartbreaking to me that we have come to a place where the idea that there are actual experts, <laughs> there are actual people <clears throat> set aside for, for study, set aside to, to, to teach others you know, about particular subjects, that, that somehow that is under attack is, is not, not something that is of God. And, right. and certainly if we look at the scriptures, it's the role that the rabbis played. It's the role that the Pharisees played. You, and, and I often say the Pharisees got a bad break when, when it came to telling that story. Um, but it's the thing that people understood. The word ordain means to set apart. There is a reason why there was a priestly uh, tribe that was set apart for this work. It wasn't for everybody to do. And as a preacher, as a priest, it, it's disheartening for me to be in conversation with people about the Bible, which I have, and to have them say, well, I'm just not sure that the source is reliable, meaning myself, or you know, what gives you what makes you think that you're an expert in this? Well, the, 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 those things over there on the wall. Um, <laughs> you know, have you ever walked into a doctor's office and pointed to their 
certificates and go, you know, is that really, you really know what you're talking about? Uh, or go, or walked into a lawyer's office and said, you know what, I don't really care about, I'll just represent myself. Right. Um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't dare do that. But mm-hmm. somehow the Bible has become this thing that everybody thinks that they, they, they are an expert in without any kind of serious study um, about it. And in mm-hmm. order to do that, you have to a- ask questions. Mm-hmm. You have to wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. You have to maybe come to the, the acceptance of some hard truths mm-hmm. and, and understand that while the interpretations of certain things may change, what in, the facts you know, may change. What endures is the truth of Scripture. And in the end, the truth of Scripture that Christians inherited from the story of the people of Israel that continues through the gospel of Jesus is that the God that has been revealed to us is a God who cares about human history, cares about people, has and continues to interact with humanity and longs for the reconciliation of all of creation with God's self in a perfect harmony of love and respect and dignity. Mm. That is the message that the law was meant to convey follow these things, live by these codes, and you can know God in this intimate fashion. It is what is embodied in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is the gift that in our Christian tradition was given to the apostles when the Holy Spirit was made known to them and taken out into the world. That is the, that is the message. Nowhere in there is judgment. Nowhere in there is an us and them. Mm -hmm. It is simply our responsibility to go into the world, to love and to serve in that fashion. And that is something that is there throughout Mm -hmm. the message of shalom, of God's dream of peace, the message of chesed, God's dream of justice and redemption, the the message of metanoia, of of repentance, that is throughout the scriptures. And that is good news. And that is what we are called to take into the world. Amen. Boy, am I going to miss you, my friend. I'm going to miss you. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast and for always being available to my community, to me, to the parish. Um, New York is going to be really, really lucky to get a hold of you. And I'm just going to be ghosting you for the next year. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even think that I won't be listening to your sermons. You just won't know when and where. (laughs) As a, as a, as a parent that, letting a child go away to college mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, <laughs> I, I anticipate down the road mm-hmm. uh, seeing the ways that 
that you have grown because mm. uh, you've, you, you, you have uh, been a wonderful um, person to walk with just mm. in, in, in seeing uh, how you were, you were able with God's help, mm-hmm. you know, everything, every promise we make, mm-hmm. it's always with God's help, mm-hmm. but you were able with God's help to see the, I'll just call it what it is, heresy, mm-hmm. uh, that modern fundamentalist preaching is when it comes to not acknowledging the, the, the love of God and the place at the table that every, that every person has. Mm-hmm. Uh, either the whole world is redeemed by Christ or none of it is. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the bottom line. And for you to be able to take just a small step to say, I'm willing to at least listen mm-hmm. to, to somebody and to let that little that little seed just sit there and slowly mature and slowly grow uh, to, to the point where you have been able to fully uh, receive that gift of God's grace and, that, and, and God's love for you so that you can do this and write your book and so that you can you you can you can give it away to others because mm-hmm. as I've, as you've often heard me said you can't give away that which you haven't received for yourself right, right. we have to be able to receive it from god before we can mm-hmm. ever give it away to anybody else mm-hmm. and um the the it is a, it is a gift for me to to have witnessed that mm-hmm. and to see the lives that that you have touched and and the folks that uh that that you have brought um in, in into uh, a deeper relationship with God in Jesus, people you know who have a deep, deep love for Jesus and a deep, deep love for Jesus's people, but have been told by those people that Jesus doesn't love them. Right. You, because you know that in your heart, mm-hmm. the, the the heresy of that, you mm-hmm. know in your heart uh, that love that you can go and say, no, that's not true. That's right. And 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 if you want to come and see. I'll take you. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, I mean, that's Philip and Nathaniel. That's, uh, that's evangelism mm. right there. And, good evangelism. Uh, <laughs> all evangelism should be good. And you'll notice yeah. I didn't say evangelical Christianity because right. that word is another one that's just been co-opted. Mm-hmm. Evangelism comes from the Greek word evangelion. It just means good news. It's gospel. So to be an evangelist is to live a life that conveys the good news. And what is the good news? The good news is the kingdom of God has come near. And what is the what is the kingdom of God? But it is knowing the goodness, the presence of a loving, liberating, life-giving God right here in our midst. And you can't you can't do that. You can't accept that if there is this 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 judgment in, in your heart. You just can't do it. Right. So um, I, I give thanks that I've gotten to to walk with you and and um, very, very happy that others will, through you, get to know the God that uh, that you have have rediscovered. Mm-hmm. who was there the whole time. Yeah. But right. um, you have rediscovered uh, mm-hmm. in in perfect love. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. And guys, if you want to read more sermons. Um, 
from Father Joe, you can go to fatherprime.blogspot.com and I'll have that listed on the show page. And as we end today, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. So hang on. Uh, I was gifted this really awesome book called The Bless the Space Between Us. And I found something here that I want to give to Father Joe, who he's probably read this anyway. But I thought of you when I was looking through this book and I was looking at the different prayers and the different poems. And I thought, this is what I want to give to you, Father Joe. And out of the way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you are ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered. Heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent. Wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground. Your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plentitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning. That is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you. You will be deeply missed at Good Shepherd, but I am convinced, as much as it pains me to say so, that you have been called to spread your wings and to grow. And I say Godspeed to you, Father Joe. Thank you, Mitch. God bless you. And God bless all of you who have been on this journey with Midge and will yes. continue to walk with her. Yes. And guys, Midge isn't going anywhere. I'm still here. Father Joe is going, but I'm still here. And so check out the Facebook group, Gay With God, where we do a monthly Zoom group entitled My Faith Journey. And we open up questions and we talk about what we think and how we can rectify some of these scriptures. It's not as much fun with me as it is with Father Joe, but we're giving it our best shot. And there are people who love it. And, and so we'd love for you to come and join us. Also, go to the Gay With God um, Facebook group and you can join me for the Ask me anything that I'm doing every month for you to get snippets of the memoir, sneak peeks into the untold stories. And you get to you know have fun listening to all the questions that people ask me because they can ask me anything, not just about the memoir. So come join us for that. If you are listening to this podcast and you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in a relationship with the God of your understanding, if you identify as LGBTQIA plus or not even sure if you're gay, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned to see how you can join the Gay with God community. And as always, you are loved. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay with God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay with God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. 
deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.